Section 46 of Four and Twenty Fairy Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Appendix Mademoiselle du Lebert by author James Planchet. Of this lady we have but very meagre information. She was born about the year 1710, and is said by some writers to have been the daughter of a president, and by others of a treasurer de marine. She appears to have led a studious and retired life, her love of literature indisposing her to marriage. Her contes de fille were commenced about 1740, and several have been attributed to her pen, which she disavowed. Those she acknowledged were Tessirion, La Princesse Leonette, et Le Prince Coquero, Le Prince Glass, et La Princesse Incalente, La Princesse Couleur de Rose, et Le Prince Celadron, La Princesse Camillon, and la nouvelle lionel she was also the author of a translation of amadis de gaul les hautes fêtes d'esplandien and anecdotes africans published in seventeen fifty two voltaire and fontel called her muse and grace she was living in seventeen seventy two and died before seventeen seventy nine she had disappeared from society for some time previously and was presumed to be still living at that date but a letter written by some one who knew of her decease inserted in the journal de paris in of that year number sixty nine addressed to the author of l'almarque de dames illustre by l'ombre de la mademoiselle de lubert and dated from the mill in une bossette de champ elysee seems to have been considered sufficient authority though as no precise time or place is mentioned the letter might have been written by the lady herself had she wished to deceive the public she had however reached a very respectable age and it is probable that she was dead at that period her Comte de Fleet remarks one of her critics, We are not nearly equal to those of Mademoiselle de Marat and other ladies who have written in that style. They have less of moral purpose and allegorical allusion. This is quite true, and my object in publishing the two I have selected is to illustrate, as I have mentioned in my preface, the decline of the fairy tale. Mademoiselle de Lubert is one of the latest of her class. Her stories are only designed to amuse. The publication of The Thousand and One Nights by Galland and the immense popularity that work immediately obtained evidently affected the composition of fairy tales. Wild extravagant adventures, unconnected incidents, transformations without point or object, a straining after merely marvellous, 
and a total abandonment of the laughing philosophy and the unaffected morality which distinguish and immortalize the stories of Perrault and d'Aulnoy were the first effects of the circulation of the Arabian Nights entertainments. The next was the orientalizing of every tale of enchantment. Dull caliphs and sultans disposed the merry old kings, who, once upon a time, ruled in fairyland. The amours of the seraglio and the harem were substituted for the innocent courtships of princes or shepherds. The manners and dresses of the time, those delicious anachronism which impart so much pleasantry, a and instruction to the fairy tale, were carefully avoided, and the characters arrayed in what the writers flattered themselves were eastern costumes were seriously placed in situations compared to which that of Molaire's Monsieur Jourdain at Mamamochi was a nearer approach to reality. Even those that had some claim to Oriental origin were so altered and manufactured for the European market that they were said to appear en sortant de chasse barbine, plus arabe qu'en arabie. Le Mercure Galant was flooded with these productions. Alamanzor as Zerha, Comte Arabe, Allermine de Zalima, Comte Oriental, Balki, Comte Oriental, Zaman, Histor Oriental, etc. Then we have Comte Mongol, Comte Turks, Comte Chinois, Comte Tartars, Comte Parzin, etc. But we are forgetting Mademoiselle de Lubart and her. Princess Chameleon a translation of La Princesse Camillon, much abridged and altered, was published in the Child's Fairy Library some twenty years ago under the title of Princess Minikin. The plot of this story is intricate without being ingenious. The persecution of Camillon by Marmot is purely capricious, and her contrivances are of the clumsiest description. In the original, Zerfil is commanded to take off, one by one, the scales of the whale, but a whale has no scales that it could feel the deprivation of. It is skinning the fish alive that would be a cruel operation, and I have therefore rendered écorcier in that sense, and not to scale, as it had been previously translated in accordance with the specific direction quoted above. The transformation of the unfortunate princess into a crayfish, and her being shelled instead of pounded, as Marmont had decreed, is all of the same character. The long story told by her in that state to the other crayfish in the plantation is a lame way of enlightening either Zerfil or the reader and has to be continued in as lame a manner by Citronette. The pounding the crayfish for the king's soup, and the disappearance of them in flames when they are put into the mortar, seems to point to an eastern origin. The latter portion reminds us 
of the black man flinging the fish into the fire in the story of the fisherman and the genius in the arabian nights where there is also a city changed into a lake and all its inhabitants into fishes and re-transformed in the end and restored to the rightful monarch the young king of the black island the crayfish broth may be an allusion to the well-known bisque et crevice but it is also an oriental dish for while this book was passing through the press a morning journal announced that the eldest royal son of his majesty the first king of siam on his arrival at claridge's hotel after satisfying himself that due provision had been made for the comfort of his staff retired to rest having first partaken of a frugal repast prepared by his own chef de cuisine consisting of crabfish pounded with various eastern condiments morning post october thirty first eighteen fifty seven the eagerness with which the nobles of the court sought for the servile office of filling the king of the Whitney's bowl with sea-water is the only stroke of satire in the story and evidently leveled at the candle-holding and similar ceremonies of le grand et le petit coucher to stand and hold a bougie allume while louis the fourteenth undressed himself was says simon une distinction et une favor qui le sont complet tant le roi avait l'art de donner l'être le de la reine in a note to the expression shrieks like melusins page three hundred and ninety eight i have suggested that some portion of princess camion might have been founded on the romance of melusine this romance was composed towards the end of the fourteenth century by jean d'arras at the desire of the duke de berry son of john king of france and was founded on an incident recorded in the archives of the family of Louisquin, which were in possession of the duke it is briefly as follows the legend of Malusine. a king of albania named alanius had married the beautiful fay presine by whom he had three daughters at birth Malusine, melor and palatine fay had stipulated that he should never enter her chamber during the period of her confinement but the king having broken his promise in his anxiety to embrace his newly-born children the queen cried out that she was compelled to leave him and immediately disappeared with her three daughters she retired to the court of her sister the queen of the isle perdue and as her children grew up instructed them in the art of sorcery melusine having learned from her mother the conduct of her father determined to be revenged on him and proceeding to albania by means of her newly acquired art carried off the king and shut him up in a mountain called brandeloy the queen who still retained some affection for her husband on becoming acquainted with this unnatural act 
punished Melisine by sentencing her to become every Saturday a serpent from the waist downwards, till she should meet with a lover who would marry her on condition of never intruding on her during the time of her transformation, when she was ordered to bathe, with a promise that if she strictly attended to this injunction she might eventually be relieved from her weekly disgrace and punishment. Melisine was excessively beautiful, and Raymondin, son of the Count de Forez, having met with her in the forest of Clombier, fell in love with her so deeply that he married her without hesitation on the prescribed conditions. She built for him, near the spot where they had met, the castle of Louisigan, and bore him several children. But her husband's jealousy being excited by a cousin who suggested to him that Melisine had a criminal object in secreting herself on a Saturday, he made a hole with his sword in the door of the chamber to which she was wont to retire, and perceived her in her state of transformation. The various versions of this legend differ in the details of the consequences, but all agree in stating that Melisine, reproaching him with the breach of his word, disappeared and left him to his, end his days as a hermit on Montserrat. The popular belief was that she appeared on what was called the Tower of Melisine when any of the lords of Lusigan were about to die, and Mesere assures us, on the faith of peoples who were not by any means credulous, that previous to the death of Lusigan or a, of a king of France, she was seen on this tower in the morning dress, and uttered for a long time the most heart-piercing lamentations. The Duc de Montpensier destroyed the castle in 1574, on account of the resistance made to his arms in it by the Huguenots, but the family of Louisiane, till it merged in that of Montmarcy Luxembourg, continued to bear for its crest a woman bathing in allusion to the story of Melisine. Eng pour la figure, et serpent pour le rest, Delzal. Princess Lionette and Prince Coquerico. La Princess Lionette et le Prince Coquerico is an infinitely better story than La Princess Camion, but, like that, its aim is no higher than to excite the interest and awaken the wonder of its readers. As a work of fancy, however, it is one of the best of its class, and I believe it is now for the first time translated into English. I do not recollect any story on which it could be said to be founded, but at the end of Le Tyrannine de la Fille de Truet by the Countess de Anil is a story entitled La Princesse Lyon, in which a princess is changed into a lioness and persecuted by a fairy called La Ransoune, but there is the similarity ends. Mademoiselle 
de Lubert edited the edition of the Nouvelle Comte de la Fille of the Countess de Anille, and may have taken an idea from that particular incident. The model of the globe in which Prince Kokiro saw and heard all that passed in the universe and witnessed the opera, the play, and the orations at the Académie Française reminds one of the room in the Palace of the Beast, the various windows of which afforded beauty similar entertainment. The fairy tigerline's employments of spinning and threading pearls is in strict accordance with the manners of the sixteenth century. Passions avec les dames, said Rabelais, nostre vie et la nostre temp à infilier le père ou la fille comme sardinapas. Livre et chapter thirty-three. I have mentioned page 438, that the opera of Armide was considered the chef oeuvre of Quinault. The music was composed by Lou Lilly, and it is reported that he made Quinault write the last act over again five times, which so disgusted the poet that he ceased to write for the stage from that period. The incident of the shield is that in which a Daldo holds before Rinaldo his adamant or diamond shield, in which the latter sees himself reflected in his infeminate attire, is awakened to sense of his degraded situation, and abandons the enchanted gardens of Armida. Book sixteen. End of section forty six. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver. B.C.